We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity, a podcast celebrating generosity at work. Not financial giving, giving valuable time, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. I have a gem to share with you today. We've got Michael C. Bush, who's the CEO of Great Place to Work. Driven by a love of business and an unwavering commitment to fair and equitable treatment, Michael joined Great Place to Work as CEO in 2015, bringing 30 years of experience leading and growing organizations. Previously, he was a CEO of Tetra Tech Communications, a billion-dollar global telecommunications infrastructure firm, and was a member of President Obama's White House Business Council. He earned his MS in management from Stanford's Graduate School of Business. He's an author, a speaker, and just a very kind and genuine human. Michael, thank you for joining us. Shannon, great to be here today. Thank you. I love your vision statement. And I think it's like a practice what you preach type of thing where you talk with organizations about being purposeful and your keynote to uh, at this year's conference about the butterfly effect, I thought was fantastic and something everybody's got to watch. And you've got a really big goal and vision, which is to build a better working world by helping every organization in the world become a great place to work by 2030. Tell me a little bit about what that means to you and and why that's your vision. Yeah, you know, the the key part of the vision is 2030. Um, where it, it, it because w- once you talk about a, a big vision, um, you know, kind of a world very different than the one we're living in, and you talk about uh, a great place to work for all, um, you know, it implies first of all, all has to be present. And then you have to make sure that it's a great place to work for every single human being in the organization. And so that's a crazy goal, uh, mm-hmm. which is absolutely what we're after. And uh, it, it's it's right and just and, and um, for all the things we believe in, as well as just being good for business. And then the 2030. And the reason I added the 2030 is at first I had the mission without 2030. Mm-hmm. And then there was a person, uh, a young person in, in uh, the audience, and they said, by when? How long is it going to take? And so I said, well, um, how about 2030? And a person, you know, kind of an older person in the audience said, it'll never happen by 2030. And then the younger person said, 2030 is too far away. So I said, 2030. (laughs) But it it creates a sense of, uh, you know, kind of a measurable goal and a sense of urgency, um, you know, is our hope. And it shouldn't be 50 years from now. Um, but, uh, as we know, the state of the world, you know, 2030 is am- ambitious and, uh, and provides the right kind of energy, uh, and, uh, really emotional and chemical reaction to the, it, the time is now. Yes, absolutely. And I think everybody needs to get the book, great place to work for all so that they can understand the intricacies of what you're talking about and explaining it and seeing what are the different levels, because what you're referring to is at level five for all leader, but could you just give us a quick overview of the other four levels? Yeah. Thank you, Shannon. And so we did a research study with about 2 million leaders uh, around the world. 
and we really measured the experiences that they create, you know, rather than kind of the leader themselves. And we found that leaders create one of five types of experiences. They either create something called the unintentional experience, which is people who are brand new in people leadership, a lot of millennial leaders. It's their first time, they're outstanding individual performers, they get the job and they're unintentional. They don't seem to know what they wanna do and, and people have inconsistency when they work for them. And so we, we came up with the word unintentional. And then there are people leaders who are outstanding individual performers who are unintentional because they never wanted to lead people. Uh, but the compensation scheme meant that they had to get paid uh, uh, to do that. But uh, of course, our research shows if somebody wants to get better at leading people, be a better leader, they absolutely can be. So the next level, you know, kind of the, the level two is a hit or miss leader who's better. Um, and about half the people who work for that leader are having a positive experience. The rest are neutral or, or, or negative. Uh, that unintentional leader, actually only 27% of the people are having a positive experience. Mm -hmm. And then the level three leader is the transactional leader. This is a really good leader, uh, under budget, you, you know, ahead of schedule type leader. And uh, they've got, um, you know, kind of like about 65, 67% of the people having a positive experience. Then we have the good leader, um, which is, uh, these are phenomenal people who 80% who of the people are having a positive experience of working for them. And then there's that top leader, which that's what you and I are concentrating on. That's what I work every day to try and be. That is what we call the for all leader um, who, who have a way of moving through the world uh, that's that that's that's quite different. There's they're definitely a generous leader, and people who work for this leader who have been at the company six days, six months, sixteen years have the same experience mm -hmm. uh, of that leader. This is a purpose-driven leader. Uh, this is a leader who is trying to do much more than just profit and loss. They see that the way to maximize profit is to really um, build people. Um, and, and every person and to take care of things outside of the, the Excel spreadsheet, like the environment. They're concerned about all of it because you can't be concerned about people and not care about the environment. They see it's a disconnect. It's not a choice. The other leaders are, are still making trade-offs. Mm -hmm. um, but, but the for all leader has already just has decided uh, that the world connects for them in a certain way uh, that they move through it differently. We're fascinated by that group, uh, great companies have more than their fair share of those people. And uh, I love the work that you do because to me, this encourages the curious leader to try and become um, more um, than they'll naturally become, um, you know, really by liberating and freeing themselves. Yes. Thank you for that overview and that clarification. And I think it's helpful for each of us to consider where we are at right now, you know, get some honest assessment and feedback and self-awareness to be clearer about what level we're at and get some guidance on how we could evolve to that next level if we're not there yet. Um, and I think that you're, you know, what, one of the many things that this book and your work has done for me is it validates my belief that generosity is the future of leadership. I really believe that in the future, what it's going to matter most, and even now, frankly, but I think it's going to it's going to be evaluated more or identified even more intentionally as a leadership competency rather than just, oh, that person's a nice person. Because it's and and I get irritated when people talk about some of this work as soft skills, like being a good listener or emotional intelligence or generosity. 
as a soft skill or that's so nice. It's a nice cushy person, but it's not like that at all. What you're saying is there are bottom line benefits and organizations thrive when their leaders are purposeful and create an environment where everyone belongs. That's right. You know, you talk about the the return on generosity, you know, and um, which we both have mixed feelings that we have to show an economic return for some on 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 being generous. Um, but yet we are in the world of business and, and therefore um, we know that we have to speak a certain language. Um, and um, and the, the the kind of leader that we're talking about, this for all leader who is a generous leader, um, a compassionate leader, um, a, a caring leader, you know, the, these leaders care the most and 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 really they care about the their the purpose. Yeah. You know, more than, the, you know, because the purpose is the reason they know that, that what they're trying to do is so complex, they need to get the most out of everyone. And they have the belief that everyone has something to give um, <laughs> until the person does something to to erode that trust. So uh, I do believe that it's um, not only we have all the data, you know, to do what we That's have stuff. to do, meaning stock market performance, revenue growth. Profit. We we've got tons of data to show that this leader excels and outperforms the market. You know the S and P five hundred four to one, including today, this past year, where you've got these four all leaders, these purpose driven leaders um, at the top. So it, it it pays. So we always say uh, it's better for business, better for for people, and better for the world. Pick any one of those that motivates you. Uh, you know, we would like it to be the better for people part, but people can pick the one um, that uh, motivates them. But what we do know is, you know, motivation does matter. A person who's motivated to do it, you know, really driven by empathy and mm-hmm. and, and that they, they want to give people more than they expect, which is being generous, um, their results are superior. Wow. They are superior. So they're within the for all leadership group. There's a top tier of that group. These are generous leaders. Mm. These are generous leaders. These are leaders that COVID-19 is here. Uh, here it is. We don't understand it. We don't know what's going on. Give everybody two weeks pay. I don't know why, but I have a sense that's a good idea. And boy, was it a good idea in terms of daycare, in terms of elder care, in terms of um, you know getting the PPE that you need, uh, in terms of getting your internet uh, speed up and 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 reliable and stable. This is what generous leaders did. They didn't evaluate it. Many are still studying it, whether or not everybody should have high speed internet and things like that. There's some people who don't need to do the analysis because they're they're uh, the generous leader that that uh, you're describing. Yeah, and I I love what you're saying because it's like trust your instincts. If yeah. your intuition says people probably need this, like yeah. I know one of the things that you've done at Great Place to Work is invest in mental wellness. And whether you, somebody said, this is something that we need, or maybe it was something that you've always had, but you said, I want to make sure that everybody gets the support that they need and everybody needs something different right now. And I'm not going to measure your productivity on how much you accomplished this week, as much as I'm going to measure your wellness. Like, are you okay? Are you, and, and you also talk a lot about safety and I'd love for you to explore that more with us. Like one of the features of organizations where people can thrive and be their best and feel like they belong are organizations where they feel safe. Please explain more about that. 
Yeah, we in our survey, which we surveyed uh, this year uh, in 150 countries uh, in, in a crazy year like 2020. Amazing. And, uh, and we asked 60, 60 questions, the same 60 questions across all industries uh, in many different languages, uh, obviously in, in 150 different countries. And if you look at our algorithms and you this is really this was a shock to me and and our team. We did a study about three years ago on what part of our analytics are the best predictor for earnings, mm. not revenue, earnings, profitability, the bottom line. I was super excited about it. Yeah. And we, we did that exploration. It was emotional and psychological safety. Number one. Number one. I knew it was important. I mean, you know, obviously, I but I I thought you know team performance, um, the level of respect, uh, innovation, you know, all these things at the bottom of all of that, including at the bottom of trust, is emotional and psychological safety. Wow, there's no trust without it. So it is. I thought trust was the thing we've always our foundation, but we learned through this. Well, the foundation of trust is emotional and psychological safety. And uh, when when people um, are experiencing it, then uh, they can actually be themselves. Mm. And and when people are themselves, then they're comfortable being generous. They're comfortable being caring. They're not you know worried about it because this lets uh, and most people are generous. Um, but you know through different things in business, they they learn to maybe maybe turn that off. So th this is the most important characteristic. Um, it was our research, really, that uh, fueled a lot of research. Google did a lot of research on most effective teams. Mm -hmm. They came to emotional and psychological safety as being the number one driver. Well, it's for this reason, because a great team, people have to have to trust each other. So we measure it. Uh, we measure it. And, and of course, when you've got low levels of emotional and psychological safety, you have high levels of fear. And fear stops inclusion, stops innovation. Um, uh, you know, stunts engagement and happiness and makes people feel separate, you know, rather than apart. It makes people think about protecting their small little pie rather than being generous and thinking about how to make the pie bigger for everyone. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it, it stunts generosity uh, and all the things that we know are, are important. When we come back, Michael will share examples of emotional and psychological safety. Introducing the brand new QuadPod Podcast Network. We're adding new podcasts every day. Visit QODPOD.com and meet our podcasters. That's QODPOD.com. And we're back with more from Michael C. Bush. It would be helpful for our listeners to have some examples of what it looks like to provide psychological and emotional safety. Yeah, so what it looks like. So, uh, you know, number one, when you're feeling emotional and psychologically safe, the chances that you're going to experience burnout for an extended period of time are really, really low. Really, really low, because when you're feeling emotional and psychologically safe, you can say, hey, I need some time off. Um, or do you have any support for me in terms of uh, 
um, meditation um, or, or exercise, you know, anything's around my wellness. You feel like you can ask for those things. Yeah. And when you get paternity leave, you know, in Silicon Valley, paternity leave became a big thing and uh, no one took it because they didn't feel safe taking it. It wasn't until like CEOs started taking it. Then they went, oh, okay, it's a real thing. I can actually do it because I didn't, that they didn't feel safe. They didn't feel safe. So these are the things you look for. The things that drive safely, safety are, um, do, does your manager involve you in uh, making decisions, when they're making decisions that are going to affect your work? If they, if the manager does that, you feel safe. Um, does your manager seem to care about you as a person and not just as an employee? The, this, this affects that. Um, does your manager ask for your ideas when trying to improve something in your work or in the customer experience? And how often? That that uh, are these are indicators of safety. So it's uh, do you care for your colleagues, the people that you work with? Do you feel they care about you? And so there are ways of getting at that. Do you have a good friend at work? Do you have someone you consider to be a, a friend at work? So it's it's really evaluating the experience that people are having with the people that they work for with and the people that they work for. And it's easy to see. It's you know it's and then we ask the question: Do you feel emotionally and psychologically safe? directly um and you look at that response compared to those other things and you'll find that they're highly correlated matter of fact you can ask those other questions and predict before looking at the answer uh you know what the person's gonna say you know um there are people who don't feel like they belong um they don't feel like they fit in they don't feel like they feel like other people think they're a loser um, and, and they feel like they're in a culture where there are A team players and B team players and they're on the B team. Those people don't feel safe. Mm. Uh, and in organizations that have high levels of that, well, you know, they, they definitely uh, aren't going to do well on our survey. And, and financially, they're not going to do as well as their competitors who have that high level of safety. Yes. Oh, thank you for explaining that. Because I think it's one of those concepts that a lot of people hear about. They think they know what that means. They may even think that they're creating a psychologically and emotionally safe work environment, but perhaps they're not. And, yeah. I, and I am so grateful for the level of detail and painstaking accuracy that you and your team go through to provide us with data to back up our hunches. Like, like my hunch would be that if we created an environment where people felt safe, that there would be other benefits associated with that. We hope that that's the case, but because of the work that you all do, we know that that's the case. So again, it's not just because there's bottom line benefits, but for some people that will be the reason why they try more than perhaps they had. And that's fine by me. Like, I wish your intentions were just because that's the right thing to do for people. But if they're not, I'm okay with you focusing on your bottom line and still being a, and yeah. a person who can create an environment where everybody belongs and feels comfortable with being themselves. I think it also brings up the topic of mistakes and how mistakes are handled. So what is your experience with your own organization and those that you study who handle mistakes really well? Yeah. So, uh, we have a survey question, uh, that we ask, um, uh, basically, how, to, how does your manager respond uh, when you make an honest mistake? Okay, so, um, uh, and people know what that means. Uh, so uh, a place that is, number one, you know, really going to thrive in terms of innovation 
uh, which is required in, in business all, all around the world, you will find that pe they will say, um, almost always I feel uh, supported when I make an honest mistake. And there, an honest mistake is a concept here. We know that that happens when you're innovating and it happens. It's just, you know, we all make mistakes. So that that's the notion rather than, um, you, you know, being uh, uh, reprimanded or, you know, made a, an example of or shamed um, when, when you make, you know, what an honest mistake, because an honest mistake, everybody makes every, every single day. So but that's why we measure it. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can see in, at a place where people are feeling emotional and psychologically safe. Um, they will say, yes, we can make honest mistakes here. We learn from them. Mm -hmm. um, we get feedback when we do things well, and we get feedback when we do things um, when we actually make mistakes. So it's a very important part of emotional and psychological safety. For sure. And is it something that it's the responsibility of the person who made the mistake to teach others in a kind of formal way? Like, is there a debrief or a way of sharing the learning with the larger organization? In a high trust culture, you know, in a high trust culture, that that's what happens. That that people will make it a, a learning moment, and uh, uh, and do it in a way that's compassionate and caring for mm -hmm. all the people involved. And uh, and the you know the the uh, the for all leader talks about the mistakes they make. That's what the for all leader does. They they talk about it, and so there's nothing more powerful than that. Then a leader saying, you know, I really thought it was time for us to open business in China. We made a huge commitment there. Uh, it was one of the big, biggest mistakes of my career. Um, feeling feeling that, that that just liberates people, yeah. uh, you, you know, from doing that rather than being perfect and pretending you can be that way and um, not, you know, we, it weakens your credibility when you try and come off that way. But leaders, some, some do try and do that. Um, and part of generosity is being open, candid, transparent. It, it's, you know, generosity is giving people more than you need to give them. Um, uh, so, and more than they expect. Um, you know, people don't always expect a leader to do that. But when you do that, credibility soars for that leader and people will do anything, uh, you know, for, for an organization that's operating that way. Absolutely. So many of the things that you're saying are generous acts, including feedback. You talked about feedback. I think that's a generous act. It's it's the investment in someone's self-awareness in their career growth, particularly if they have a behavior or a habit that could be career limiting for them that they just may not be aware of. Uh, so what is the feedback culture at Great Place to Work? How is that something yeah. that you have turned into a cultural norm? Yeah, so we call it gift work. Gift work? It, yeah, because you're giving a gift. You're sure. giving a gift of feedback. So we we got we've written about it. Um, so uh, and and coined that phrase for all the reasons that you mentioned. You're giving someone a gift. Uh, it's a way of showing that you really respect and care for them. And you have to think about how you give it because you want it to be something that a person can know exact. You know, you, that wasn't a good job. You didn't do a good job on that project. That doesn't help anyone. You did a great job on that project. That doesn't help anyone. Mm -hmm. It's going further. Well, going further, you got to think about it. You have to really think about, you know, the exact nature of what happened and give people the information so that they go, oh, I see. Because now they know when in that situation again, they're going to see it differently. They're going to respond differently. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it would have been better. You made that decision totally based on instinct and, and you didn't have to make the decision for two weeks. So actually you had the time to get the data. 
You didn't have to make a decision right now. If you have to make it right now, yes, use your instinct and your experience. But you had time to get data. And we do better when we capture some data and then use instinct. Instinct plus data is where you get the most powerful answer. So um, that's that's needed. So a great place to work. Um, uh, it is a great place to work, you, you know, meaning we do the survey every four months. And we're the only organization on earth, I'm sure, that every employee gets the data the same time I do, and they get 100% access to all the data, all open comments, everything. Our people can see, if they've been there a day, they can see absolutely everything. Other organizations we know because we're in the business, they limit access. Uh, we don't. Uh, we make sure um, that, that everybody can see it so everybody uh, can contribute because we believe in innovation by all. And um, we know that we're evaluating our leaders, including myself, uh, on what it means to be a for-all leader. And uh, am I leading in a way where it shows that I care for people? Um, and Do I thank people? Uh, do I recognize people? Do I reward people? Do I welcome people? Um, do I listen to people? Do I speak to people in a way that makes them know that their job is critical? The work they do is critical for us achieving our purpose of helping all organizations be a great place to work by 2030. Um, and so uh, we actually have um, nine high trust behaviors. That's what I just walked through uh, some of them. Th those are the things we score because we know um, that th that kind of leadership, you know, un unlocks an organization. And so we're always getting feedback on it. And, um, you know, so that means every four months, you know, kind of on Friday at 5 or 1 p.m., I actually don't look at it because uh, I don't want to wreck my weekend. Uh, so I look at it on Monday and um, my chief of people, you know, will will say, hey, you know, Mike, got your results. And it uh, looks like you could do a little work here on uh, something. Um, and there's always something. And so that's my work. And I do that work. And I my I usually, you know, people will ask, Mike, what are you working on? And I'll say it. And so that they can um, know that I'm doing the same thing that I'm expecting uh, th them to do. It's not easy. Uh, it, it's not easy, but the returns are, are so great. You keep doing it. Yes. And you're human. So I'm guessing that you're like me, where you look at the opportunities first. Exactly. Yeah. You know, whenever you've got ambitious people, uh, which leaders tend to be, uh, all they look at is the B minus or C on their report card. You know, they don't, they don't look at anything else. I'm just like everybody else. You know, and my emotion, mood, and my body chemistry is all that class. The rest doesn't compensate. Mike, look at the big picture. There is no big picture. There's one thing right here. This is what the people are saying, you know, and so golly. Our OG takeaway tip, how we can apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Let's absorb some of what Michael shared with us. The number one thing Great Place to Work Analytics has discovered is the root cause of all good things, profit, success, trust, team development, emotional and psychological safety. I recently read an article from the Center for Creative Leadership on psychological safety. The link is in the show notes. It shared some insights from Dr. Timothy Clark, who is the author of The Four Stages of Psychological Safety, Defining the Path to Inclusion and Innovation. He discovered that employees must progress through the following four stages before they feel that they can make a valuable contribution and challenge the status quo. Stage one, inclusion safety. Inclusion safety meets the basic need of connection and belonging. 
This is where you feel safe to be yourself and you're accepted for who you are as you are distinctively unique. Stage two, learner safety. Learner safety meets the needs all of us have to learn and grow. Here, you feel safe to engage in the learning process, ask questions, exchange feedback, experiment, make mistakes, learn from those mistakes. Stage three is contributor safety. Contributor safety satisfies the need to make a difference. We feel safe to use our skills and abilities to make a meaningful contribution. And then lastly, stage four, challenger safety. Challenger safety satisfies the need to make things better. You feel safe to speak up and challenge the status quo when you think there's an opportunity to change or improve. So how about you? Do you experience all four stages at your work? What's a recent example of something you didn't do or say for fear of safety? What was the consequence that you were most concerned about? How likely is it that you would be confronted with the consequences that you feared? What did you do? What did you learn from that experience? Like Michael explained, low psychological and emotional safety means high fear, which stunts engagement, happiness, makes people feel separate, and it also stunts generosity. How would you describe the psychological and emotional safety of your workplace? And how can you, as a leader, at whatever level, make a difference to improve the safety for yourself and others? Now you know why I was so jazzed to share Michael C. Bush with you. The full interview overflowed with his wisdom, so we have part two next week, episode 20. Please check it out. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.